Purpose Highway is a space for discussions that drive connections toward people's highest purpose to build a better self and a better world. Join me for season one, where I start to uncover stories of entrepreneurs and thinkers that are making an impact. I'm your host, Scott Mason, and enjoy today's episode. I am back for yet another episode with the one and only eminent Barton Jackson. <laughs> He's laughing as, as I say it because he gets all modest on me, but that's a lot of his charm. Barton is a VP and small business relationship manager with TD Bank. He is heavily involved in a number of different community organizations, particularly those that support the LGBTQ plus community. He is also an artist. And while you all are watching this podcast, I want you to take a few minutes and look at that artwork that you see behind him because that is his own. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but let's get right to it. Barton, I'm going to just start the conversation by saying you and I met each other through the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, which is the largest yeah. organization in the country that supports small business owners and connects them with corporations that are interested in bringing suppliers and other um, strategic partners into their orbits that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. It is mm -hmm. an intimidating organization, I've got to say, as a small business person <laughs> to enter because you walk in looking like me and you see all of these glamorous people in these glamorous corporate settings. And I just wanted to hide in a corner and, and die and just die. But you, I'll never forget it. You were my mentor. You took me by the hand. You went out of your way to make me feel welcome. And one of the things that has been beautiful about knowing you both as a uh, partner in, in, in GLCC, but as someone who I've dealt with um, in a business context before, and also seen and heard about in various other contexts, is that you are so connected with what NGLCC does and what the community does. You bring it. And that reflects <laughs> to me someone who is truly committed with connecting with their purpose. Now, we've spent a lot of time getting to know each other, and I'm sure folks will want to get to know sure. you more. You started out in Boise, Idaho. How on earth did you end up <laughs> as a VP at TD Bank in the big city growing up in Boise? What happened? Uh, blame my husband? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll just blame so, him for everything. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a good blame to have, right? Uh, so I actually did not want to be a banker. Uh, my father was a banker. That's how he met my mother. He was designing the first uh, computerizations of the, um, the, uh, the, the credit card system, taking it off the old punch card system. And my mom's bank was the guinea pig. So they met on the tarmac as the delegation in Idaho. And then all three of my aunts were, were in banking as well. So I wanted nothing to do it with it. I was a custom fine art framer. Uh, until, you know, it just wasn't a sustainable form of income. And that's when I, I entered the banking world, uh, you know, at the, one of the larger uh, employers in the Treasure Valley. Uh, that's what we call the area of the, the, the three cities that, that I, you know, live in uh, from, from Idaho. And, uh, you know, after college, moved to Seattle and from Seattle to New York. But the whole reason or the impetus for the move to New York was with my husband, <laughs> who I met in Seattle. Very nice. So you are one of those folks that ended up in the big city because of love. 
I know. <laughs> it's strange to think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey. It's been a fun journey. Um, and it's been one of those where I'm really thankful for the moves. Uh, you know, when I was growing up in Idaho, I, I wanted to come out. When did you, when did you come out? I came out when I was between my junior and senior year of high school, but it was a gradual thing. I went through this phase where I wanted to tell people, including the girl I was dating at the time, that I was bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the things we said. I was there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, so I was a little bit later of a bloomer. I, I came out at 22, uh, and I came out, I tried to come out kind of gradually testing the water at work first rather than my home, uh, you know, Growing up in Idaho, especially when I was, uh, we were still seeing a, a, a number of, of, of friends and, and you know, loved ones in the community where when they came out to their families, they were being disowned. Um, you know, one of the more um, telling of those that, that kind of informed my, my caution was a really good friend of mine, you know, came out to his family and was immediately kicked out of the house in the dead of winter. Um, you know, the part of Idaho he, Idaho he grew up in, you know, has a negative 20 degree Fahrenheit winter. Oh my God. So he's in his car in a neighbor's garage, you know, to survive the winter. And then they're like, okay, well, we've done our, <sighs> our good Christian deed. Now, now go find your own. Um, and, you know, that kind of, 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 of um, 180 just, scared you. Uh, and, uh, you know, also growing up there, uh, seeing how there were no resources yeah. for the LGBTQ plus community, you know, our HIV AIDS center was the size of a shoebox in a strip mall. Nobody wants to go to a, a resource center in a strip mall. Um, you know, it's highly visible. It's, it wasn't yeah. safe. Yeah. Uh, so we had a huge problem with, with, um, you know, complications to HIV AIDS, drug addiction, uh, suicide and violence. And so, uh, you know, I was really afraid of what my life was going to be like when I came out. So, um, you know, I came out at work uh, in the frame shop, uh, you know, at the time the company was going through some management changes. And so they were a year late on my annual review and uh, oh. in the process of coming out. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, and I was patient about, it. I was in college. I'm like, whatever, I've got a scholarship. This is so I can buy top ramen. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the priority, uh, yeah, but it became yeah, the yeah. priority when um, the H the, the woman who's in charge of HR, uh, you know, pulled me into the office and said, hey, we're really, really sorry about this. You totally deserve a raise. Um, you know, it's going to be retroactive. So, you know, the college student is like, oh, my gosh, so much more top ramen. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, we go from there uh, to, you know, everybody starts finding out that I'm, that I'm gay at work. And, uh, then the new manager pulls me and goes, you know, your raise isn't going to be retroactive. We're not, we're not willing to, to take that expense on you. And, you know, then begins to, uh, you know, imply that, you know, because they know I'm gay, they could just terminate me. Cause it's an, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, I always get the two terms mixed up, uh, right to work or at real estate uh, where they can terminate you or you can exit your job for, for right. um, you know, without any justification, they don't have, they don't owe you a reason. Uh, so, you know, that infuriated me. It was the first time, you know, my whole self was weaponized against me. Uh, and it made me very angry. Um, 
So uh, somebody that I had been dating at the time actually said, well, why don't you come work for this financial institution? I was like, oh, no, the family trade. I don't want to do that. And, uh, you know, but then I saw the, uh, the wage, which, you know, was modest, but compared to uh, making, I think it was like $7 an hour in a, in a frame shop was, yeah. it was like, you know, incredible compared to that. And uh, then I found out, you know, I could still help people. It wasn't as creative, um, but it was nice to still feel like you could, you could help people. And because it was financial, it was just as personal as you know, um, ensconcing somebody's artwork or family heirloom in, in wood and glass and, and yeah. you know, matte paper. So, um, uh, but at the time, that was the early 2000s, and we were still getting, um, you know, this sort of diversity, tra- quote unquote, diversity training that was really tolerance. Um, I don't know if you ever went through that training, the tolerance training in the 90s and early 2000s. I don't think we were that advanced where I was. I would love to hear exactly what is tolerance training. Is that where like you hold your breath and you, like say, you you know, I grab onto my suspenders and say, okay, I tolerate you? It would Like how to do... Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. It, it was literally like, hey, you know, you know, the, the, the folks that are in the majority here, they're going to tolerate that you're here. Live in, and let live, you know. Understand that their worldview is going to disagree with you, and you've got to be okay with that, and they've got to be okay with you just for the sake of, of, of respect and productivity, um, which kind of, you know, even though it technically was more relatively more progressive than the frame shop that I had come from, uh, you know, began to create this honed sense of, of anger and frustration that I was already experiencing um, just from looking out into to the lack of support, you know, for, for the community in, in Idaho. And, uh, you know, it very quickly, you know, became just, just this, this boiling point for me. I was not a great young professional. I, I was, uh, it's, I, I was not, uh, I went from like always being at work on time and industrious to, um, you know, finding excuses not to come in, you know, mm-hmm. feeling like I wasn't valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, would go out late and party and, and all this terrible stuff, right? Uh, and, and, and not, you know, be accountable the next day. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, looking back on it, I go, wow, I was a terrible employee for that, for that, that financial institution. But at the same time, looking now almost 12 years back, going, but at the same time, you know, I was being told, well, you know, you're not respected or valued or loved. You are tolerated because we want complacency and comfort, you know, not for you, but for us. And, you know, that started to, to kind of hone my purpose. Um, I, I left, uh, that financial institution after college, I moved to Seattle, Washington, and that is where I was first blown away by, uh, economic resources, social resources, community, um, uh, being able to come together with some sort of infrastructure, right? Uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I ended up working for the oldest credit union in the Pacific Northwest. They're an amazing credit union. So shout out to Verity. I don't mind naming you. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the chief financial officer at the time uh, used to hold these uh, quarterly uh, financial breast, uh, fiscal report breakfast in, 
in uh, coordination with the, the CEO and the board and everything. And when it ever came to the fiscal report, it was hysterical because he was, you know, uh, an openly gay man with a husband and mm. two adopted sons. Wow. And wow, this beautiful. is like early 2000s still. So for me, it's like a worldview that I didn't even think existed, right? Uh, and, you know, here he comes up for the first time ever that I'm meeting him to sing the fiscal report for the credit union uh, to a Broadway tune. He wasn't the best singer, but it was super entertaining. Wow. Uh, how come I didn't, <laughs> I, I want to work at that bank. I'm, I'm quitting my day job oh my now. God. I'm going there. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and here I am like a lowly teller, uh, being invited to the fiscal reports, um, everybody in the bank or in, excuse me, in the credit union, you know, gets to go to these, you know, it didn't matter your position, which was so cool and That's so amazing. informative and so empowering. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because it's a credit union, it's smaller in size, right? There are only six branches. Uh, and, well, now they have more. Um, but, you know, at the time, everybody knew each other and everybody was involved. So, you know, the CEO would visit the branch, would know us all by name. Same thing with the CFO, who's now the CEO, and, you know, still reaches out every once in a while to check on me here in New York. I mean, mm. uh, he's just an incredible Beautiful. person, gave me letters of, of recommendation when I, when I came to New York and, and needed them for, for, for interviews, and it was just so incredible. But the other thing he did for me was he helped me shift, you know, my anger at, you know, the you know, the, the rest of our, our neighbors and our citizens, you know, that don't share love with the community from a, a place of anger and, and shifted it more into uh, a focus of purpose. And he was the one that introduced me to the Greater Seattle Business Association, which is their LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And there I saw, uh, you know, for the first time, LGBT uh, Q2 plus professionals networking, building community, building legacy and, pur and purpose. And it just, it, it made me so happy. And here I am, this you know, little teller in a suit, uh, you know, uh, with no business cards, but, you know, collecting them and, and meeting people for the first time and, and, and seeing that, you know, um, the outside world can can educate and can inform, but ultimately you you empower and, and shape your own your own purpose and your own reasons for for doing what you do. And so, um, you know, through that experience, I became more involved in uh, financial education and volunteer work and community organization through financial institutions. So, um, I determined as a teller, you know, at the early onset of my career, because of this this. Um, CFO who afforded me the opportunity um, to, you know, really want to become somebody who leveraged his profession and his skill set back into his community. And that's, that's been my, my MO now for, for, you know, a decade uh, and, in banking. It's, and anyone, know. in a way, then it makes sense that of all of the things that you could be, you would end up a relationship manager uh, because that's yeah. really at the end of the day what that's about. But you said something earlier that I want to delve into a little bit more deeply. And that was just, mm -hmm. you said it almost as an aside, but sometimes there's such nuggets in those little sides. I, I just can't help but dig them out. Yeah. We find our purpose. Um, and that is up to us to be able to do. Talk to me a little bit about how that revelation came to you and what that means, because to me, that's very, very interesting. And people live their entire lives without ever understanding that. Yeah, so uh, uh, 
the way I kind of, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, some things are, are lived and not learned. I think it's such a cliche. I try to avoid it, but I think it's kind of true. Um, you know, no matter, no matter who you are, right, you are, you're interacting with this, this, this internal and, and external world around you and, yeah. and inside of you, right? You have, um, you have good experiences, you have bad experiences, you have um, interactions that tell you how you are valued or maybe how you are not or just overall neglected, right? Um, so speaking more specifically to my experience, uh, it, my, my formative 20s um, in Idaho, here I am going, hey, uh, nobody cares about this community. The general assumption is that, you know, you, you come out as gay, you get, you know, HIV, it complicates gays and you die. Uh, mm -hmm. you're, you're not economically of, of value. You're not, you know, creating families. You're not uh, doing anything other than, you know, going to um, uh, a bar and, or, or, or what have you. So, um, and I think I just lost video, but I'll just keep going. So, yeah. Yeah, that uh, happens. It's technology. Yeah. So, um, you know, here we are, um, you know, young 20s, uh, young gay, uh, and only having friends in now in the LGBT community because you feel so alienated. Yeah. And that's uh, all very real and all very experienced, but it's also all very emotional. There's no necessarily direction to it. Uh, and at some point you, 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 you discover and learn that you can either um, remain kind of directionless and, 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 you know, fixate on the um, outer, outer stimulus or outer stimuli um, that you're being given and the feedback from, from, you know, either good or bad forces, um, or you use that information and your emotional intelligence uh, and your experiences, and you decide to set a purpose and a path for yourself. You know, nobody has the right to tell you what your value is, um, you know, beyond the material transactions of the world, right? Um, you set your, your value uh, internally. You decide what your path is going to be. People don't get to tell you that. Um, you know, but if you have the ability to, 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 to let your experiences, let your emotions, let, let your, your introspection start to inform you, you can, you can hone that. Like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be happy. It's, it's okay to have, um, you know, you know knee-jerk responses to things. But then there needs to come a point where they are informing you and, and you're guiding yourself and you're, you're determining what your purpose and your value is. And, right. and you know, I think when I was in Seattle uh, and I was working for that, that credit union, that's, that's when the light bulb came on, mm. um, you know, because I had focused so much on the negative and just seeing that one positive, but yeah. then thinking to myself, now, wait a minute, these people existed before my negative experiences. What are they doing differently that, you know, they're of or around the same age, but, you know, they're making more money than me, they're stable, you know, they're clearly happier, you know, or more satisfied. What, what's, what's the difference? And then I realized, you know, these people have a driver purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was really fortunate to have uh, the mentor that I did in, in Seattle, because uh, I, I don't think without him, it would have probably taken me much longer to get 
you know, where I am. You know, one of the things you said a few minutes ago that in a way wraps up and wraps into one of the most powerful things that I like to talk about, which is that our value is intrinsic and that we have it irrespective of who we are. I am of a strong feeling that as a culture, we have commodified ourselves as people to such an extent Mm -hmm. that there are entire populations that we deem expendable. For instance, in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, people with HIV that couldn't be treated, right? We had as part of the serious national discourse in the 1980s by major religious leaders putting LGBT people, or at least those with AIDS, into concentration camps or locking them up and sending them away. We're having similar discussions about populations now, particularly vis-a-vis the, the situation that we are in. That is why you're, I'm sure, working from home a lot these days. And Sure. You know, when we view each other as commodities... What I mean by that is that we view each other, even if it's on a subconscious level, as only Mm -hmm. by how much economic value we bring to the table. And if you buy into that myth, then there are all sorts of destructive outcomes that can happen, particularly if you are someone who might be beyond your income earning years, you might have a disability, you might, or you might not have skills that even if they are intrinsically valuable, they're not economically valued. For instance, childcare comes to mind. Um, And so finding that value and making a statement, particularly from someone in the financial sector, that that value is something that you have the right to determine has particular force. So when you as a financial person are saying that, it's different than if a lot of people uh, who otherwise might have be perceived as having a vested interest in that might say it. And so how do you take that then into how you operate as, as, a, as a banker, as someone who is in the financial world? Because I cannot imagine that on some level, that commodification, even if it's not an overt value that you're forced to impose into the relationships or that your company wants on you, you know, it's still, you have to be productive. You still have to account for numbers. How do you sort of toe that line as a person? What ways have you chosen to compromise or not compromise or build your own vision if that's what you've chosen to do? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, You know, and I, I think I'm fortunate to, to to work for the employer that I that I that I work for, uh, which is TD Bank, because I don't think that. Um, well, let me let me backtrack. There is there is a there's a a, a general industry issue with 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 banking and, and financial institutions, right, where they have commodified themselves. And and you know, let's be real. There's products and there's services, right. right? Um, so, you know, we're, we're holding companies for, for, for transactions and, and for accounts and, and for the, the management of, of wealth, however great or small. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, bankers 
either, you know, we'll do this internally or, uh, you know, a community, again, will externally, you know, reinforce an image of what a banker should be. Uh, And I would say, you know, ever since, you know, the the, the 90s into the 2000s, maybe even the late 80s, um, you know, the shift has been less of that's a member of our community, that's somebody who can connect us to people, you know, that's somebody who can provide you know, some semblance of, of guidance or advice. And if, if they honestly can't, you know, there's other resources they may be able to connect us to. And that had switched to, um, oh, they're going to sell me a checking account, or I only come to them when I need a loan, or, oh, if I'm a nonprofit, can they introduce me to their, their foundation for, 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 for charitable giving? Um, so we became less about being people, uh, you know, that integrate into the, um, financial milestones, health, visions, goals, and lifestyles of both our, our consumer clients and our business clients. And we ca- became more just, you know, uh, the modality of, of, of dollar signs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, it's easy to buy into that, that, that narrative still, right? Because I've had plenty of experiences networking where I'm introducing myself and letting them know I represent, um, you know, a bank and it's immediately an, Oh, like they just sense I'm going to sell them something or, mm. you know, there's this mm-hmm. immediate ask for, for, for something from me um, rather than getting to know each other, building relationships and, and really de- de- determining how we can, we can invest in one another. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's our responsibility again, to inform ourselves of those experiences remember what we've decided our purpose is going to be and, and, and redirect that conversation or that, yeah. that exchange with, with whomever the, the audience is, whether it's a client or a prospect, uh, a, a member of a community, uh, you name it. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm lucky that I have uh, an employer who sees things the same way, right? Like, you know, we're a for-profit company, but, you know, it's still community centric. It's still client centric. Um, you know, I decided to apply for, for, you know, uh, the bank that I work for now, because when I, when I secret shopped them, cause that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I walked into their location on 94th and Broadway and here was this, um, uh, woman on the floor who later became my, my store supervisor, who was greeting everybody by name. And if she didn't know their name, she mm. wanted to know who they were. Right. She asked me who I was, what I needed. When I told her I was there for an interview, she immediately, um, you know, sat me down, told me who she was, um, you know, gave me a little bit of background on, on the store location, let me know that she was going to go tell the manager I was here, came back, checked in on me. And it just felt like, you know, a part of the community. And right, that's, that's, right. that's, that's, that's for me is really important. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily feel like I'm, I'm pressured with, uh, oh, you've got to sell widgets. Oh, you've got to worry about a specific, um, you know, financial goal, uh, because there is that, that space to, to have, you know, my, my model of, of functioning, <laughs> which is, right. you know, I want to have relationships with customers. Right. I want to have relationships with my, my community and, and, you know, and colleagues, like somebody doesn't have to be a client for me to uh, want to extend resources mm-hmm. or expertise or have conversations even, um, you know, uh, 
just to just to to do what I can to connect. And you know, anybody who I mean, I guess it goes for really any profession. If if you decide that your purpose is to um, leverage who you are uh, back into your community, um, be that minority or or residential or otherwise, um, you can do that. You know, <laughs> there's nothing stopping you. Yeah. Uh, you know, during your your working hours or or after work. Uh, you know, providing what expertise or guidance that you can. Uh, and people, I think, uh, you know, genuinely appreciate it. Um, but I also think it's a great way to to build relationships that are far more productive than you know a one-off transaction. Absolutely. You know, you, Absolutely. you have people who can connect and, and reconnect you to other other individuals or other organizations and, and build um, this wealth of, of resources and, and programming and and. Um, uh, in my case, you know, potentially financial support for a company's milestone, you know? So for me, connectivity and, and relationships and, and fo- you know, fostering community through, you know, your skill sets and your day job and, and bringing that to the rest of you, um, I think it's really important. Um, I think you have to integrate your whole self as part of your purpose, but you know, that's, that's my high horse. <laughs> well, I think it's a beautiful high horse to be on. And I think that a lot of people will appreciate hearing that, especially being reminded that no matter what you do and no matter where you are day to day, there's always that possibility of bringing your full self, finding your purpose and connecting that and then, you know, fully expressing that with whatever you're doing. So that was inspirational. And one of the things I love about talking to you is that that sort of inspiration comes from such a stereotypically unexpected source. But at the same time, it's all the more authentic and real because of that. Martin, how can people find out more about you? And where can we see more of these paintings? I hear you're, oh my you're selling them now. <laughs> I, what that, that Talk about renaissance, man. My goodness. Banker and painter, what next? Are you going to take over the world? Uh, no, no, no. That's too much management for me. Um, <laughs> No, so you know, it's listen. You know, going back to to you know finding your purpose, you don't have to sacrifice any part of yourself. So you know, I love art. I've always loved art. I I thought I would would be an artist. You know, going into college and and, and just you know realized that that wasn't for me. Um, you know, but uh, or at least a paid or successful artist, I guess I should say. But who knows? That could always change. Those things are fluid. Uh, so you know, I keep up with with doing my artwork. I love abstracts. Uh, I don't even remember my, my Instagram handle, to be completely honest. I want to say it's at BL Jackson 1984. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, so you can see my, my limited run of artwork there. Uh, also, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Barton Jackson. Uh, I'm the only one at, at, at TD Bank, so it should be an easy find. Uh, <laughs> So you can filter to New York if that helps. Uh, and, and yeah, those are my two uh, major uh, social media platforms uh, professionally. And then, of course, you know, if you want to learn more of my, my coming out story, uh, I did a wonderful storytelling session with uh, a, a great nonprofit called I'm From Driftwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, that's on YouTube. Uh, so if you search I'm From Driftwood, Barton Jackson, you can see uh, the, the full story there. And I have seen it. I heartily endorse it. And it was in no small part why I wanted you to be on this podcast. Barton, 
It's been a pleasure. Thank you for bringing your full purpose and your full self into this meeting today and for sharing it with folks that might be watching this. Everybody. Oh, thank you so much. It, it, thank you. It's been, it's been awesome. Everybody, this is Scott Mason checking out. See you next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Join our community today at PurposeHighway.com and subscribe to get notified when new episodes go live. Scott Mason, checking out.